Back to the war between Hamas and Israel, thousands dead. The aid still not getting through. Uh, Hamas has released two U.S. hostages in a deal negotiated by Qatar, as we heard earlier this morning. But no signs that the rage on any side, or indeed around the world, is diminishing. Simon Tisdall is a writer on the Middle East. Um, He's a Guardian columnist, among other things. And he's warned that the war with Hamas could go global. I wondered whether he still believes that. I think um, uh, I I made that comment about a week ago. And I think that, um, if anything, fears of escalation of a widening conflict have increased in the intervening period. What Um, makes you think that? Because, well, a number of reasons. Um, Israel has delayed the promised armed ground intervention in, in Gaza because of all the various diplomatic efforts and visitors it's been having this week, you know, notably Joe Biden, but also the British Prime Minister, the German Chancellor and others. And um, <clears throat> but, the, but the pressure from the Israeli public and the pressure within the unity government to take some kind of retaliatory steps against Hamas is huge. And opinion polls in Israel show that um, most people support a ground invasion. But it's become clearer during the week that 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 could be the trigger for an intervention in the north by Hezbollah, which, of course, is controlled by Iran. And at the same time, we now have a spate of attacks on American military bases in Iraq and Syria, and also um, missiles fired at the U.S. Navy in the Red Sea. And, and, and on the other side of the ledger, we have a second U.S. aircraft carrier battle group moving into the eastern Mediterranean, which is not a war game, it's for real. And if uh, <clears throat> if the fighting sporadic skirmishing along the border with Lebanon turns into something more concerted, and in other words, if Hezbollah does launch some kind of a organized attack... Um, it could draw the Americans in. The rule rule apparently is, the common sense rule is don't do what your enemy wants. And presumably this is all what Hamas wanted in the first place by launching that attack on Israel. Well, yes, I've heard that argument, and it's very plausible. Um, And I think... uh, the Americans in particular have spent most of the week trying to persuade Netanyahu and his war cabinet that they could be walking into a trap that Hamas has been preparing its defences in Gaza for months, if not years, that there are you know, hundreds of kilometres worth of underground tunnels, all of which have been tripwired and booby-trapped and ambushed and ready to blow up any unsuspecting Israeli conscripts, and it mostly is Israeli conscripts, we're not talking about an entirely professional army here, that would be sent into Gaza to to seek them out. Um, 
and I think that is a, a plausible concern. But on the other hand, um, what do you do? Israel um, has said it wants to, its objective is to destroy Hamas, is to eradicate it, to demolish it. To me, that sounds like an implausible, impossible idea, really, because it's not just a military organization, it's a movement, it's an idea, it's an ideology, it has it's it's civilian networks. If you, uh, if you didn't manage to eradicate Hamas's uh, political leadership, something else would spring up in its stead. It's been so, called yeah, Israel's... Don't, 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 do, don't do what your enemy wants, but, you know, on the other hand, don't let your enemy dictate the terms. It's been called Israel's 9-11. Um, and just as the United States got itself stuck in Iraq and Afghanistan as a consequence of 9-11, to ill effect, Israel is now reacting similarly and presumably risks getting stuck in the same way and getting America stuck too. Yeah, well, I think that is that is a huge risk. You're quite right. And um, I, But on the other hand, I think they are aware of it. And Biden himself has made allusion to America's experiences post 9-11 and, and actually talked about the mistakes that they made. And, and for instance, he didn't actually spell it out, but what he meant was in launching a, a full-scale invasion of Iraq, which he now, which he voted for as a senator, but which he now thinks was a mistake. So I, I think, yes, it's, um, it's, 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 uh, the parallels with, our, with, with, um, 9-11 with Al-Qaeda and the attacks on America are politically useful too to the Israeli side because they they draw in the American public opinion and they they are something that the Western countries can relate to. And when they start talking about Hamas as the new ISIS, then that emphasizes that whole comparison. But I've just been watching a Hamas spokesman um, on Al Jazeera, um, you know, saying basically that's all propaganda we are a resistance movement just like the Vietnamese, the Viet Cong who fought the Americans in the 1960s just like the Russians who fought the Nazis during the Second World War just like the Algerians who fought the French just like any number of other national resistance movements who, who are, whose sole objective is to create their own state and to which they are entitled and um, it's, that in the Arab world is a powerful argument do you think that Joe Biden, Rishi Sunak and the rest should have been so full-throated in support of Israel? I think, um, to be honest, they've got the um, emphasis wrong slightly, but only slightly. I think the, the attacks on October the 7th were so atrocious, so appalling, so unbelievably inhuman. That, um, that any decent person is going to be repulsed by that and say, well, there has to be a reckoning. And we have to stand with you. We have to support you in, in what you do. But um, in Britain, for example, where anti-Semitism has be become a big issue in recent years, or perhaps it always has been, um, there is a political dimension 
with, with um, politicians playing to the gallery saying, look, we stand with the Jewish people, we stand with Israel, and forgetting that actually there is another side to this argument. And since those awful attacks, about 4,000 Palestinian civilians have been killed. People who had no say in those attacks had probably had no role in them, and certainly um, were not combatants. And so it's a fair enough question to say, well, yes, okay, let's, let's, let's have solidarity with Israel, but let's have some solidarity with the human race as well and with ordinary people in Palestine who have had a pretty raw deal over the last 50 or 60 years and who um, don't deserve to be killed or told that they're animals, which is, which is some of the language coming out of Israel. Netanyahu says all Gazans share responsibility for this. And by that, he's implying that nobody is a civilian in Gaza. And so they are all at legitimate risk. It seems there are no civilians anymore seen by either side because, of course, the Palestinians see all Israelis as occupiers and combatants. That intensifies the conflict, of course, doesn't it? Well, you know, Hamas is a is a terrorist organization with no uh, sort of consti elective constituency. Benjamin Netanyahu is the prime minister of a country that styles itself the only democracy in the Middle East. And to say that there are no civilians, to also suggest that, to suggest that all Palestinians are Hamas, is an, a dangerously irresponsible thing for him to say, but it's not surprising coming from him since Benjamin Netanyahu, more than probably any other individual, bears responsibility for the current crisis. It's his policies and the policies of his right-wing chums in his rather nasty coalition that has split Israel down the middle, which treats the Palestinians with contempt. There's, there's always a fused negotiations and blocked any path towards a two-state solution or any other possible solution to this problem, who actually um, have added to the polarization and radicalization and, uh, and the bitter harvest that Israel's now reaping. And I'm not saying it's all Israel's fault, but I am saying there are two sides to this, and, and to try and deny the human dimension to make, to make out that somehow Palestinians are, are less than is actually very irresponsible. Do you think there's, I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like a, 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 a Twitter thread, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but there are a number of people who at this point would say the reason Israel exists was because it was a terrorist organization. Irgun was a terrorist organization. There is no point in trading descriptions of terrorist organizations because we're still where we are now. Well, this is an age-old um, argument, isn't it? Or it is. Personally, this is a question, yes. I mean, British soldiers <clears throat> who were doing their duty under the Palestine mandate that was given to the British government after the Second World War were murdered by Jewish 
terrorist gangs, some of whom subsequently became prime ministers of Israel. And I remember on a trip to the Middle East visiting a, a British military cemetery in, in Cyprus, where again it's all the 17, 18, 19-year-old young men were murdered by, you know, Cypriot nationalists um, who, who we at the time, Britain, that is to say, termed terrorists, but who saw themselves as freedom fighters. And you see this all over the world. Um, so uh, and you, you may be aware there's been a, quite a big row in Britain this week about the BBC's refusal, on which they've now backed away from, to describe Hamas as a terrorist organization because there's a general rule, not just for Hamas, that you, you, know, you do not use pejorative terms to describe groups that many people think are making a legitimate case. But after what they did on October the 7th, it's become impossible not to think of Hamas as terrorists. And one, just going back to one of your earlier questions, I think the, there is a parallel between 9-11 and, and what happened on October the 7th in the sense that I remember members of al-Qaeda saying after the attacks on New York and Washington that they'd been very surprised by the success, inverted commas, of their attacks. They never thought for a moment they were going to bring down the Twin Towers. They never thought that they would manage to kill so many American citizens. And a similar, similar things were being said about 10 days ago by Hamas people saying they never thought that their attack on southern Israel, that their cross-border raid, would succeed the way it did in the sense that they thought the Israeli army would be much more prepared. They thought the defences would be much tougher. They thought those kibbutzim would be defended. And their young men have clearly got completely carried away um, and uh, total lack of discipline or any kind of justification for what then happened. And so, in, in a way, Netanyahu has to be incredibly strong in his response to cover his own ass. Well, just to follow on from the point I just made, I don't know if this is absolutely factually correct, but it has been reported in Israel, not by, you know, not by people like me, that, that the IDF presence in southern Israel was reduced in order that troops could be moved to the West Bank to defend the right-wing settler movement that supports Israel, supports Netanyahu's coalition. In other words, they weakened their defences in the south, where most of the people in the kibbutzim are not Netanyahu voters, and they moved the troops up into the West Bank to defend the illegal settlements, which are run by people who do support the right-wing coalition. And, you know, if that is true, that it is really disgusting. Um, just, you mentioned the BBC a little earlier, getting into trouble for not describing Hamas as a terrorist organisation. I think simultaneously it got into trouble for describing Palestinian protesters as Hamas supporters, which, you know, it's a, it's a linguistic um, battlefield, not to mention the politics of it. All this is is kind of 
uh, fascinating and and horrible, but it has to be stopped from becoming a regional or a global conflict. And Joe Biden seems to be the only person who can do that. Would you agree? I'm not sure I would, actually, because... Or can he? I mean, I think he's trying. Yeah. But, you know, he has his blind spots. And he has been... He is now perceived as as not an honest broker in this conflict. He's seen as very pro-Israel. The fact that he's just asked Congress to provide Israel with $14 billion worth of additional armaments, in other words, more bombs and bullets to kill the Palestinian civilians of Gaza, that's how it's seen in the Arab world, outrageous people. And um, coincidentally, because we talk about the global aspect, you know, we've had this meeting this week between Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping in Beijing. It's the first time that Putin's ventured out of Russia, apart from, like, one of the Central Asian republics, you know, since he was indicted for war crimes by the International Criminal Court. But he went to China because he knew they wouldn't arrest him because they've got their own war criminals. And those two gentlemen are standing there and sort of smugly in Beijing looking at what's going on with the Americans in the Middle East, looking at the fact that it's distracting attention from the Ukraine war, and thinking maybe, is this possibly an opportunity to go and take Taiwan by force? Possibly they are thinking about that. I'm sure there's members of the Chinese People's Liberation Army who are making plans for that sort of thing right away, right now. And that's why it's potentially a global conflict. And and in that that context, or could become a global context. In, uh, in that context, um, Brian is a is a is a player on one side. He's not not a man who's going to necessarily end it or stop it or some way reconcile it because his arms package that I mentioned just now for Israel also is also part of a has a is a hundred billion dollars in total I think or something like that and it includes money for Ukraine but also money for Taiwan. So this point in history could be seen as one of those pivotal points where everything changes. I think we are living through a momentous moment um it makes me slightly tired because i felt we'd already done that about 1989 1990 when the soviet union collapsed and everyone sort of went phew and do you remember all the talk about the peace dividend and how the cold war was over well that's only like 25 years ago and now we're looking at a world which is dividing into two camps again, um, roughly east and west, with a few fence-sitters in the Arab world and in, the America, in the South America and Africa. But it's a, it's a big, big separating out again. It's between authoritarianism and democracy. It's between free speech and liberal societies and the sort of surveillance world that you have in China. Um, and And... And just in case we think, oh, well, the choice is obvious, it's not to many countries in the world because they look at the democracies, they look at countries like Britain, 
maybe they look at New Zealand, I don't know, and they say, well, actually, things don't work that well. And maybe we do need strong leaders, and it's a very, very dangerous place these days. And maybe we do need to have a different way of running our affairs. And Xi Jinping is very intent on being the leader of the 21st century New World Order. And that New World Order is not democratic. It's very authoritarian. And what it promises is economic security in exchange for political obedience, basically. That's the deal. Well, you haven't cheered me up any, Simon. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> you come to the wrong shop for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks for your time anyway. All right, all the best. That was Simon Tendall, who's a columnist on the Middle East.